Hey, hey, welcome to The Record Shepherd. I'm going to sample that and then have that play at the intro every time we record. Perfect. That was good. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> welcome to The Record Shepherd. You're on 93.7 The Record Shepherd. Have you ever thought about a career in radio? No. Uh, okay. <laughs> but it's, it's fun doing it now. <laughs> yes, yes. Welcome, everybody, to episode 18. Uh, for those of you following along via the gift of YouTube, you will see that we have a guest on the sofa, on the new sofa. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> fancy, funky sofa. Yeah, we got like uh, fancy, like, kind of like 70s vibe, um, rattan sofa with, like, Brian and like what are these like, you probably can't see it because I'm sitting on it but we got some pretty funky cushions on here so we're trying uh, different things every episode you might see a little thing here a little thing there yeah. but we are refining our setup and yeah just making it looking as good for the for the viewers out there absolutely absolutely so um the set's a work in progress <laughs> but um yeah we do have a guest and I'd like to introduce everybody to a uh, multi-instrumentalist producer current drummer for popular hard rock metal band fire from the grods um and in recent years working in the music industry moonlighting in the music industry and also running a recording studio out of houston texas Welcome to the couch, everybody. Richie Vankander. Vankander, <laughs> 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 you messed it up. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's the it's weird the, German, it's the German Swedish name. Say it for us. Did I get the V, the v sound right? Vikander. 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 Vikander, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Weekend. <laughs> when, when I see the W, like, uh, I'm trying to remind myself to know it's the German. It's the V. Vikander. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome, yeah. Richie. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks and for yet, having me. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, thank you. Uh, we've known each other for a few years now. Um, and, yeah, just thanks for being on our platform and sharing some amazing stories that you got. And, you know, hopefully your experience will inspire um, some of our audience in terms of their musical journeys and all that good stuff. So, yeah, thanks. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think like it's it's been a little while since we um had a well you're actually our first artist guest in the new studio so um so welcome and thank you hope I'm you're honored. feeling the the vibes what do you think of this new sofa Def new setup you yeah. like it i'd love the sofa i wish you people could see these funky green pillows because they are really funky. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get no, them out we'll get them out in a bit it's awesome it's cozy it's comfy good, good. company good good yeah. we're glad yeah so um so let's let's start um from the start obviously as we said you're um you know a key member a drummer of fire from the gods and uh you've been been with the band for 15 well, the band have been around for 15 years but what about your journey when so when did you come into that i joined yeah the band's been around for a while had several records out already did like a few tours and stuff and um, a lot of the members had quit and at the time I was playing guitar in a different band that was managed by the same manager who was also managing Fire From The Gods. Mm. So this was about early 2014, I'd say. And and this is in Texas? Yeah, this okay. was in Austin, Texas. So I just finished studying down there, going for 
you know audio engineering and music business and 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 all of that and i just i was kind of itching to play again because i played my whole childhood and teenage years and um yeah so i met met those guys and we just hit it off right from the get-go i remember really liking their music and you know the band i was in kind of fell apart and (laughs) fire from the gods had some members leave so it was just like this really smooth sort of transition in and they had a position open for drums and i was like you know what i just want to play regardless of what instrument it is um i've always been a a writer a songwriter Mm. uh and so you know it didn't really matter what instrument i did it just like mattered that i could still write music and and you know kind of from the get-go we all we got together it was um bonner the bass player and drew which are those are the two original members drew is like the og he's he started it in high school and yeah so this band's been around in austin for a long time and um yeah so we just kind of hit it off from there and all of a sudden later that year we we were you played so many shows and then we were in california and played not fest which was i think it was the first maybe the second uh not fest that existed in san bernardino um so that's slipknot's festival mm-hmm. and um yeah we got to play uh, a set and went really well and from there we started touring and honestly the the tours were really shot it was like what you could imagine you know living in the the dirty van driving around the u.s going to shows where there's like maybe 30 people some days seven some days a hundred you just never really knew and we just kept it going because we just wanted to play so was that your first time in that sort of environment or did you grow up playing in bands and playing shows like that yeah i always played in bands my first band i was i think i was 10 we were called Anavrin, which was Nirvana backwards. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Obsessed with <laughs> with Kurt and Nirvana. I just thought that that band was so sick, and we were also three P, so just made sense. Yeah. Uh, at the yeah. time, was my first instrument was guitar and vocals, so I always did that in every band I was in, except for Fry from the Gods. So. So you're you're coming into the band. You're. you're a guitarist and a vocalist and a songwriter and but you see this amazing opportunity and you're just like I'm going to join the band no matter what instrument that I have to play was there a big learning curve there in terms of learning the repertoire learning the instrument itself uh yeah I do remember I listened to they had an an EP called Politically Incorrect and it was like a whole different lineup but I, I remember just listening to it over and over and over and over again. And I didn't actually have a drum set to rehearse on before my first like audition with the guys. Really? Just so like I was just like on the tapping cushion. and yeah, like tapping wow. my legs. I remember I had like a, a long flight. I went to visit family in Germany and and both of those flights were very valuable time because, you know, you got like 10 hours to crush. So <laughs> what did I do? Just had the music on repeat and um yeah it was just like air tapping probably driving everyone mad on the flight <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's like so 10 hours yeah <laughs> but that's an that's an important i think takeaway even in the beginning here is 
you had already refined one of your primary instruments, which is your ear. So you can, yeah. you can, your ability to sort of listen to music and pick it up and learning what you need to rehearse is something you had already had in you yeah. that helped you when you were joining this band. Yeah, I think so too. Like just knowing the material, like, you know, front to back in that way is just as important as playing the material over and over again because if you know the song the arrangement the, the structure when the cues are and so forth i feel like it helps going into actually rehearsing you mm. know? it's just like when you write a song you're so close to it that it's really hard to mess it up when you're playing live because you're attached to it mm. so if you're somebody you know that i've always hats off to all the the people out there that you know are just players they're not writers because those guys actually they learn so many songs and they're not attached to the songs in that way and that's something i've always been so it it's almost weird for me on the other side like i mean i've i spent some time uh playing in a gospel church where i did have to learn a lot of the songs just you know based off of listening to the music and there was no sheet sheet music or anything it's just like hearing it with your ear so like yeah training your ear is so important i think as a musician it's just as important maybe even more so more important than having all of the technical knowledge you know wow yeah yeah Uh, which which of course you do have right and uh, and um you know, you, you you alluded to it there that you were studying uh, to become a sound engineer in mm-hmm. Houston, and um, so obviously, like you've been playing in bands since the age of ten. You you know decided that that like at an early point you must have like essentially taken the decision that you wanted music you wanted to do music professionally in whatever capacity in some sort of capacity. So, um, but I'm sure that education on the technical side must have lent itself well to life in a band and you know like all of that process so you guys so you joined fire from the gods they already had an ep but had not recorded their first album yet they did have a record out uh it was called sweet lasting revenge which i think they recorded with tim lambesis from as i lay dying before he had his whole whole thing going on and um yeah i really didn't like hear of the band uh before i started playing in austin so i just mm, like right. kind of got out there started you know playing with uh this um this guy that i'd made a lot of music with beforehand and funny enough uh we had we had some conversations with you know a certain label that then eventually years down the road fire from the god signed to which was rise records Mm -hmm. um so shout out to rise records yes yeah shout out um so shout out to sean yeah shout out to sean the team um yeah we we you know that was kind of like our start our that was the platform you know to really get a record going so we 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 had a few singles and those singles i think it was really we got signed off of two singles so we we went to houston to record at the studio that i now work out of in houston mm-hmm. so we met robbie joiner 
shout out to Robbie, mm-hmm. my 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 man. Um, yeah, we we hit it off right from the bat. He and I just had this like musical connection, a nerd connection on the the you know recording side of it, and like you were both Pro Tools guys, <laughs> and we were minimalistic with gear. It's like you know we didn't really have much. And we're kind of in that similar position where it's like make the most out of the gear you do have and learn how to, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, if it's all you have is this SM58, l- you can learn how to make it sound amazing and, mm. and make something happen, you know. Mm. I think a lot of people do use like gear as a crutch. Like, oh, I don't have this million dollars facility to record songs in, but it, it all starts with the song you know yeah yeah well that's what i I, like i wanted to get into that like when you you know join the band with that um sound engineer background that you got like that how uh, have you find that that lends itself like well like that that must be such a and that start that's exactly why i did that you know i think i was maybe like 14 i had my first recording studio experience that really changed my life because I knew, man, if I can just, I've figured out instruments, I figured out how to come up with ideas and just, you know, that part of it. But I really always, you know, I've, the first few demos with my early bands, it was all like literally a tape deck Mm -hmm. with two mic inputs (laughs) left and right. And I just put one mic to the drums and one mic over to the PA in hopes that that was a good balance and you know going back and forth just from that and of course it sounded terrible (laughs) but you know we had a cassette you were able to take it and put it in and then listen to what you're doing and that really revealed like wow okay now i know this really sucks and this is actually kind of cool so maybe we focus more on this cool stuff we found than rather than like <laughs> trying to be this yeah. other thing. And so, yeah, the, the recording of it all, like really, it just changed my whole mindset. And, and I knew it was like, okay, being a musician these days is not what it used to be. I'm not going to be a millionaire overnight. Those things can happen and those stories do exist as well. But I just had this feeling like, okay, I need to learn how to record because then if I can play and record, then everything's going to get easier. And it definitely did. Um, I did not know at that time how expensive recording gear was going to be, but Mm -hmm. there are always ways, like I said, you know. It's a value of trial and error. It seems like you were going through, whether it be learning how to record, um, being in bands that failed, going on tour where there's 30 people in the crowd and you know just sort of figuring out figuring it out along your career yeah i want to i do want to touch base on because in a previous podcast we had talked about um the importance of location um in terms of your musical journey and Mm -hmm. like development so you at the time were studying in austin texas do you think that environment sort of helped you make the connections that you made was that important or do you feel like you could have been in any you know city and you would have been able to do that yourself i think i've you know for me personally the location has always been a weird one because you don't really think of texas as like this music hotspot, or Mm. at least i didn't i you know i knew austin was this like 
so-called music capital of the world at least they call it that to me it was like the cover band capital of the mm. world <laughs> you, know, you can walk down sixth street and there's some sort of country cover band or a willie nelson guy over here and a this other you know band over there covering music but i i had such a hard time like finding the the scene i did feel like because I, I lived in san antonio for a year when i first moved from germany to the states and uh when i was nearly 18 and they had this like awesome metal scene mm. and there was a venue called the white rabbit and you know i think the location thing is it's really on you what you make that location to be because you know it's like do you do you want to be another guy in la new york nashville doing what you know forty thousand other people are doing in that same space mm -hmm. or do you want to be the first one that in your city or the the you know that can create something new or do something extraordinary mm -hmm. for that scene and and i guess in that moment i really wasn't too concerned with location mm. also like growing up in germany it, it, in a not buzzy city i wasn't in berlin i wasn't even close so the music scene was like well, there were like two or three venues I could go to to see concerts and that's about it, you know? Mm -hmm. So we really had to create our music scene in the town that I grew up in. Like there were maybe a handful of musicians and we just all kind of like floated around and we'd get all these youth centers to throw shows and then like invite our friends and all of a sudden people, like our friends and people we knew, peers and stuff liked going to shows and we're all in like punk bands and just trying to be rowdy and have mosh pits and like <laughs> yeah, leave these youth centers destroyed sometimes <laughs> but that was that was it that was like you know i was never big into drinking or or the party of like i never wanted to be a musician to get girls or like the sex drugs rock and roll thing like never appealed to me it was just like i just want to see people react to my music like wow. that's really what drove me to doing it so much um yeah and i knew that it was like th kind of the more looked down upon degenerate thing to do because especially in germany i don't think like most people are like you know you're you're from europe it's not like if you're like deciding i'm gonna be a musician most people are like oh god here we <laughs> yeah. go <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah there is there is i wonder i'd love i'd love to uh that would be an interesting study to think about you know i feel like here in the states it's a very entrepreneurial culture and like it's kind of like um i don't know that sort of like there's an adventurous entrepreneurial spirit which i feel is very much encouraged in the mm. states um and in europe i think like that is recognized that that exists over here i'd love to know if like the sim similar sort of thing exists for just exactly that like yeah like i'm gonna follow my dreams i'm gonna do something that's not the sort of you know it's not an the office nine path, to five yeah. yeah it's not it's not a beaten path it's like i'm gonna go and try to follow my dreams i wonder is that like more acceptable over here compared to europe i i haven't actually yeah, thought wonder about that too. i don't know mm -hmm. yeah. but yeah so i guess fast forwarding back to like 
the the band-aids and 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 texas and stuff i think it's not the location i think it's the people you interact with you meet it's your network yeah yeah well and and to tim's point that was one of the things we were wondering is like you know can you put your is it important to put yourself in a position where you i a location where you are going to meet that network um or you've more chance of connecting with that network and i think the answer to that i feel is like yeah probably like if you're yeah. living in like the arse end of nowhere then you know you probably got to get up it's and go somewhere it's hard yeah, yeah yeah but also too it's i think similar to how you were talking about people using equipment as a crutch people can definitely use location as a crutch right yep. whether man i just have to be in new york or i have to make it to la in order to make my situation better mm-hmm. But then, you know, there are often times where people do live in those cities and they still don't necessarily make the connections that they want to make because I think you do have to take a bit of onus on building your own network like you're talking about. Definitely. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and go ahead. Yeah, no, uh, I think, yeah, it's also like, uh, I guess, thinking back, like, yeah, it's like random things can happen. You know, I I remember meet the the one guy that, really changed a lot for me and in the way of even getting back into a music scene as a whole was like I went and got a tattoo and the tattoo guy and uh, Alex and I were talking and and he was like oh you do music well my roommate is a day to remember's tour manager you guys should meet wow and at the time a day to remember wasn't really a big band yet you know they were on warp tour and doing that kind of stuff but they hadn't like fully blown up yet. This was before the homesick album, I believe. And so, you know, I was like, yeah, of course I want to meet him. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, we went to his, his flat, smoked a bunch of weed and hung out. And, and then the next time we hung out, we, we made like five or six songs. That's and amazing. Yeah. That's definitely where the production thing came in really handy was like, I knew how to record and he didn't. And so he was also looking for somebody that knew how to record his ideas. And mm-hmm. and so then we just made a bunch of music. We, we you know, yeah. toyed around with it, just caught a vibe. And eventually it kind of died out. I was still in school, really focused on that. Um, yeah, because I love the studio. I love recording and producing. I think it's like probably my favorite place to be all in all. I love playing live, but there's something about living in the that, studio. That yeah. creative process, so I that's, guess. Yeah, and, and that's actually a good segue. So fast-forwarding from when you first joined the band to the first project that you were able to write and record with the band members, walk me through that process. What was that project called? The first band that I was in? Or? No, 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 with Fire From The Gods. Like the first project you were able to actually record and like write songs right. with that band rather than just learning old old songs. Yeah, so we were in our storage unit practice space, which we still have, by the way. Nice. Um, the the we kept those those humble beginnings around, and um, yeah, so that in that storage unit, I remember I just had my laptop. We were rehearsing. And uh, Jameson and I were like, hey, let's let's just write something, you know, because we're I think we're just waiting on the rest of the guys to get there. And 
we came up with this idea which then turned into a, a song called composition mm-hmm. and that was like one of the first newer songs that we had as a band and then we went to robbie in houston the black book sound which is the the studio I work out of now mm-hmm. again so um and he had us he had written a song that turned into our song pretenders mm-hmm. and that those two singles were the first two songs we had done. So mm-hmm. we had two songs new and those, uh, I think it was Greg, the founder of rise records. He heard them through our manager and he just really liked what he heard and said, yeah, let's make it happen. And, you know, we played a lot of showcases to, for Sumerian records and a bunch of different labels and stuff. But that was the label that really like, I think saw our vision our creative vision. And that, I think that song composition really started it off for us because, you know, we like to blend hip hop and metal. Mm. And that was just like, it felt so good. We were like, wow, this is just naturally what we should be doing. Cause it just feels right. Like, yeah our singer was in new york he was super into it and and we actually had another singer at the time and so like those two songs we had they didn't even come out yet and we started touring we started playing them live nice before they were even released and that's cool so you you knew you were on the good thing yeah because we were seeing the reaction of the crowds and we're like yeah man that breakdown really did slap and then like that the funky kind of hip-hop bridge comes and like it just gets vibey for a, a moment in and in metal you don't really get to like vibe too mm. much because it's always like high octane and a lot of energy mm-hmm. so that was like cool to just see that that combo f- worked for us and then and then we were sent to the studio um and to your happy place <laughs> yes which turned into it was it was a happy place but it was i mean we we really like we got torn apart toiled in there yes yeah yeah so we had 10 days to write a full record musically so we spent 10 days in houston preparing the original plan was okay we're going to record the record in houston with robbie i had just moved to houston to be there like for that process and just in general i wanted like i i was working at guitar center for a long time you know did every department and pro audio and all that stuff and i was just so over it i was like i need to focus on you know want my craft like i need to give it my all and i was broke as shit and we were just living in the studio and then all of a sudden we get a call they said hey well um this band of mice and men was supposed to be in with david bendeth uh in new jersey at the house of loud and you know david bendeth produced breaking benjamin paramore's riot uh he's you know remix and like did elvis presley's remix like an og guy and Mm -hmm. we're like man are, are we ready you know like we we don't even have a record and they're sending us off to him because um unfortunately austin carlisle got really sick so they couldn't finish their record 
and because that was a Rise Records band, they were like, well, if My Man Men Can't Go, then let's get Fire From The Gods in there, and it was like, over the holidays, I was planning to go see my family like everyone else, so we were in New York over the holidays, and making a record with 10 days to write a record. And then we got here and we got scolded because <laughs> David Bendeth, shout out, I love you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Whipped y'all um, in the shape. <laughs> yeah, he did. I mean, uh, and you know, in the end, uh, everything worked out and, you know, it was, it was like just a, a real vigorous process for us, but we got the record narrative done and and it's a very aggressive record there's a lot of pain in that record um our singer at the time he was a stockbroker in wall street and uh, <laughs> wow yeah and he got fired from his job i believe aj that's correct we um, gotta get him on here that's yeah, an interesting yeah that'd be brilliant yeah <laughs> yeah so you could pick us some stocks as well while yeah. he's at it yeah <laughs> right. so the first day at bendis he walked in with his suit his like full, like he just got off of wall street and then went to jersey to come meet us and we'd already been there all day just getting reamed by bendis about how we didn't have songs and what do we do with these instrumentals? Like he doesn't even know what to do with, with <laughs> our material. And wow. we're like, well, we only had 10 days. What do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, and then and this is like so an OG producer. Who's yeah. He's used to like a band coming in with 30 tracks and then like these are all and, like, yeah. these aren't good enough. Let's like focus on. And they had three months and we had like three weeks. Three wow. weeks, so 10, 10 days to write the material yeah. and then three weeks to get it all straight and yeah. done. And then so over Christmas, we went to um, our publisher and uh, we uh, we had the small little closet room to write and record. And we recorded a lot of the vocals, like I'd say like 60% of the vocals on that record were recorded on a $100 microphone Wow! mixed by a multi-platinum award-winning uh producer you know mm -hmm. and it's like <laughs> it just shows again it's like it's really all about the material and then how you work it rather than like yeah you so you don't need all the gear yeah and all the gear and no idea and in terms yeah. of the yeah 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 <laughs> and in terms of the like the discipline maybe we can touch briefly on you know, because I, I've been fortunate enough to record in studios myself as a drummer. And mm -hmm. Maybe we could talk about, like, as an instrumentalist, the things you're allowed to get away with performing live that you you can't get away with in the studio and how precise your playing has to be and how painstaking that is if you've never been through that process before. It was intense. Yeah. I will say that. Um, and, you know, it was... I was definitely the one that was picked on because mm -hmm. that was kind of the thing. And in the moment, it was just like, you know, when when you're just writing the music, we had zero time to actually rehearse anything or even process what this is going to feel like or sound like on the record. So, yeah, it was it, it was very vigorous. We had to find a lot of ways around that and to, you know, Sometimes you just have to make it happen. And that's really, honestly, where I really learned you can't have an ego in the studio. 
It yeah. just kills everything. It kills the process. It kills the vibes and it kills what's best for the song. It it just does. And that was like so valuable for me and I'm so glad we got to experience that. Mm. And, you know, and in the end, you know, like Robbie, who, our collaborator, who was like our, our sixth member of the band, we, we call him, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he, uh, he, cut all the vocals or most of them and and in the end you know david bendeth actually gave him the producer credit because he had made all the vocals happen and like all the pre-production we did in houston like a lot of the guitar takes a lot of a lot of the stuff we did in those 10 days of pre-production in houston ended up on the record as well wow wow. so it's just you know, so mm-hmm. lightning in a bottle sometimes, and and you just gotta be ready because you never know. Like sometimes you could go in for a demo session or a writing session, but you might never get that moment back. Mm-hmm. The the emotion that you're yeah. in in that that moment of like maybe right then you're hurting, you're pain, you're yeah, in pain, yeah, yeah. and later down the road when you go in to cut the record, you might have just you know scored the the hottest guy or girl in your life and then you're on top of the world and you can't get that pain back out of you in the moment so it's like sometimes Mm -hmm. just doing doing your best with what you have is so important and yeah so that's awesome i think that's also true like that's why you get a whole bunch of um artists or publishers that want to do re-records for when they're doing synchronization licenses and they you know the publisher will have the song already for the synchronization license but if uh assuming that the re-recorded restriction uh under a record label which typically exists in a record deal assuming that that period has expired then the publisher's like can we just like re-record this and then like we can have the whole you know both sides we can get the publishing money and we can get the the record side as well but mm-hmm. summary records are better than others basically and i think you're absolutely right you're never going to be able to totally recreate the magic mm. you know of a of a re-record so um of the original potentially so that's that's interesting that it, that's what it's about isn't it you can just be in that space and you've got to capture that magic there and then and you may not capture it again yeah yeah that's i mean that that's part of the beauty for me about uh it's the same with musical performances live performances as well like everyone knows yeah you can go to see your favorite band and some gigs for whatever reason are just better than others and it's like we're humans at the end of the day and like people feel good some days some days they don't feel so good some days they feel fucking class and yeah, like you know exactly. and the crowd the same you know so i think it's like uh that's one of the beauties about music it's just like it's never going to be the same mm-hmm. sort of thing so yeah i mean yeah. that's that's a good point and just on that about showing up maybe in days that aren't your best days or showing up when you you know you're having a really good day how does that transfer on tour for you guys are there days where, you know, you might have more of an ego or you might not be feeling the best? And how do you sort of overcome that? Absolutely. It's like years and years as a band together. Yeah. I mean, there there are days where 
like just this last tour i was sick for about a week of it and you know all day you're just dreading <sighs> i gotta schlep my drums in mm. set up a million pieces but really that is all you'll get through it mm-hmm. but then when the show happens i have this thing in me that is like i'm gonna perform the same no matter what just happened today to me i don't want people to to know that about me because when i'm on stage they want to be that they're gonna see if i'm not having a good time mm-hmm. people can see that you know and like yeah, that's amazing that's like that's a very professional attitude to take because ultimately you know i heard i heard i was watching the kings of leon documentary one time and they were in the studio having a bad time of it and like things weren't going right and they were just trying to rally and i remember just there was a line it's like like you know we're we're some people's favorite band you know we're something like they are look they're waiting for this record so like let's let's get at it and mm. like deliver for these people yeah, who's you don't like know who like jimmy just spent his last 20 bucks mm-hmm. to come see your band yeah. because your music is getting them through the day and i've had bands like that for myself that get mm. me through the day or the week or you know like we've had people come up to us saying like you know i i was gonna take my life but then i heard the song and wow. mm. and it's wow. you know sometimes it's really overwhelming because you're like wait this can't be real you know but yeah it, it is it's a reality for some people that just connect to your music for for whatever reason and it's those for those people that i just can't like not give my all i guess and i think that it's like if you want to do the music thing and be a performer i do expect that from most performers you know because that's that saying like the show must go on yeah it's so real (laughs) And, and it's also i think like you know as i'm sure it's hard i mean like we we talk about it all the time uh it's look there's a there's an element that uh people don't see where you know all the things you're talking about like you you got to go through those periods where you're flat broke you know it's things are difficult um you're toiling in the studio it's not all glamorous it's mm-hmm. not all glamorous yeah mostly not yeah, yeah mostly not <laughs> glamorous yet there is another side where you know you got to remember also that like you're like artists are in this position where they are living this sort of like dream like they're they're, they're living the dream that they went for you know what i mean that like a lot of people don't ever get to that where they're like doing they're actually realizing their dream so you know it's it's a it's a difficult one i can understand because we're all humans and people are on the road and they're knackered etc but i think you're the way you approach it is incredibly uh noble that you have this like commitment to yourself (laughs) to to give it your best because ultimately you know i guess you're realizing your dream up there you know yeah Yeah. it's you know i think it's like very similar in starting a business it's like going into doing the studio thing and just quitting my job was also very stressful being like i have zero clientele People don't know me as a producer or engineer. So it's really like you have to, like I was just cold 
DMing and calling and mm. emailing bands left and right or bands that I knew of that were playing around and maybe wanted to come for a free session, you know? And I remember this one band came from Austin and I just gave them a free session because I don't have a portfolio, so I got to make it happen wow. somehow. Yeah. So I started doing that and started like telling Robbie, yo, you know, like I'll record the guitars on this or it's just, you just got to put yourself out there. I think in those situations, you just have to like eat it sometimes. And I was uh, fortunate enough to hear those words from another producer in Sweden, uh, Henry Bergstrom, that gave me an opportunity while I was in school to work with these two singers from the UK and um, it was kind of like house party music and you know it's there wasn't there's no pay it's just just do it and and he he had worked on some really amazing pop records in, in his past and and some of those he did for nothing because he knew if I just do it and then they put it out then mm-hmm. people will look at my name and say, oh, this guy did it. We should go work with him. Mm-hmm. And it totally works. It, wow. it, it definitely worked, you know, like, yeah. And I'm, I'm still growing. I'm still, yeah. it's like this resume thing, you know, you just got to keep building it and, and do what you can. And certain situations will, will help pay your bills and stuff. And cause you're confident, you know, you can help this band or artists and and others you're like you know the this is an opportunity so it's kind of like you have to see which which route is going to be more helpful like mm-hmm. you know sometimes just do it you're always it's, in that sort of survivor mentality yeah yeah you're constantly i feel like it never changes like yeah. even even being on like really big tours and and then also really small tours it, it's it's the same think just having the same mentality of like i'm gonna do the same thing regardless if it's seven people or seven thousand people i think it helps a lot i yeah. love that i love that 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 to me is like the the top tip the top t- takeaway for artists that are out there performing live it's like uh just treat it exactly the same whether it's yeah. seven people seven thousand people well, yeah so if you lose your mind in front of seven people they might tell another 10 people and those people will tell other people and then the next time you play in that city you might have 200 people come up because of the yeah. word of mouth you know and or I you get you get like a different reaction where as an audience member, there's nothing worse than feeling like you're being taken for granted, and it's just essentially just another yeah. tour stop. It's it feels a bit too rehearsed, where it's not as personable. But on, on the flip side, there's nothing better than like let's say you do see a band or an act and they're really really tired, mm-hmm. but they're able to sort of roll with the punches and like make it a part of their banter. Like it's a, it's fun when you see a band mess up and they, they just sort of acknowledge it and it's yeah. kind of funny. You know, versus them taking it super duper, you know, hard and just like, you know, why the hell did you not play that note there? But, right. you know, that's always fun to see a band sort of work through those those issues. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's fun. Um, what's, what's your what's your favorite thing about life on the road? And I guess the next question is, what's the worst thing about life on the <laughs> road? <laughs> um, man. I mean, I love the traveling aspect a lot being able to see so many places and and the cultures behind it 
I think that's, you know, I've, I've always really loved traveling as, you know, as a kid and growing up in Europe, you can go so many different to so be in like in so many different cultures so quickly. Yeah. And just the, the, in terms of like travel distance from one country to the next, et cetera, exactly. Et yeah. yeah. The culture changes a lot more, but I've also noticed that in the States, you know, going from state to state and there are the different mentalities and, and different like subcultures going on and you're talking about new york versus new jersey yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) yep or you know texas versus wisconsin Mm. you know that it's like both of the it's kind of country living but it's complete up like different mentalities yet similar yeah america is such a an interesting or the u.s such an uh, interesting place and um I mean, obviously the shows, it's like the either 30, 45 or minutes or an hour that you get, everything in your life vanishes mm-hmm. for that time because you literally can't think about anything else. And if you do, those are the times when you mess up. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's like when you catch yourself mid verse two and you're like, oh, wow, that burger was so good oh shit where am i in the song now you know like you, it, it doesn't happen too often but have you ever had that feeling where you're playing a live show and then you just blank like you forget everything yeah totally like, it's, it's happened I? yeah <laughs> i feel like at this this point i'm kind of on autopilot and it, like as the drummer and being on a metronome i really literally can't mess up because if i mess up everyone's off and it's just not gonna yeah work out well so (laughs) you just got to steer the ship back there and and just stay on it but um do you do do you use any techniques for that like in terms of like focus you know everyone sort of these days is doing all sorts of like you know meditation and mindfulness or or is it just literally no not it's just (laughs) failure is not an option it's just not (laughs) (laughs) you drop a stick stay on the click and do whatever else you can to make it not as awkward you know but yeah yeah i think it's it's just repetition and practice and yeah if you drop a stick stay on the click yeah, there you oh, go. There you go. There's There's another another takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> Just stay on the click. You yeah. know, yeah, I've decided what I want to do is get like you know, kind of like a like a candy jar, like a sweetie jar, and put these little tips in, and then at the end of the year, we'll like sort of lucky dip them and like read them out that's what i want to yeah, do that's so great we'll get you to put one of those <laughs> in tonight Man, this is so far this has been a, a great conversation and i want to take the opportunity to touch on all aspects of your experience so you know in addition to you um being a writer a producer a drummer for the successful band um we'd be remiss not to mention that you have also been working full-time in music publishing as well and that's something that you you've done for the past few years Yep. Uh, yeah, it's been about nearly five years, I'd say now, wow. yeah, four and a half years ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's yeah. an interesting experience. Like you're almost like getting like kind of, uh, you know, you're going from the technical side of actually making the music itself to more like a technical side of the business of music, etc. Yeah. So, um, what's the learning curve been there uh, been like there you know in terms of like um finding out how that 
sort of side of things works and then i guess actually applying it i should imagine to your own mm-hmm. music yeah i mean it it's uh in the beginning definitely in a way was sort of overwhelming but also very interesting and having done some time like spent some time in in uh college studying music business and the music industry and like you know you get all of the like pinpoints like here's you need your pro um ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, whatever, wherever you are, there's different ones. And um, then, you know, the other thing they touched on was like, okay, like there we had a business class where it was like create a business. So mm-hmm. for my class, my final project was I created a recording studio and actually like that then ended up happening in real life. And, you know, it, it, but you just, it's all in theory. It, sounds so like oh cool yeah totally makes sense but once you're in it y- it that's when you're really learning I yeah think. like and anything yeah, yeah exactly yeah. yeah and so yeah it's it's been the the gray thing like especially with with you know who i work with is the most important of all of it because you know i guess it's it's like a certain I work in rock and metal publishing. Yeah. So it's really like right up my alley. Yeah. And yeah. I, I know all of these bands we work with and even some of them I've toured with. So, you know, they're like personal relationships, but also like the mutual, like you're an artist, I'm an artist respect. And like, you know, I think that the industry sometimes does get like, it it can get a bad rep. It can get a good rep, but there's always the like, you know the suits or whatever but you know it's like um i think like the learning curve was pretty big for me because i'd never worked at any industry gig before yeah of course and it's i would say that like you probably got a good look firsthand at how overwhelmingly confusing and complex the publishing side of the industry is insane yeah and i've noticed that even a lot of managers and other you know record labels and and stuff like that it's hard for them to understand it as well because it's such a per deal based uh industry it's it's never the same it seems like there are certain guidelines and rules you can follow but like not one artist or band has the same setup because it it's a human experience and it's art at the end of the day so there yeah there really aren't these like crazy formulas that people speculate <laughs> there are you know like <laughs> here's your f- songwriting like if you use these melodies you're gonna have a hit it's just not that doesn't exist right. it's like mm-hmm. does not exist um yeah 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 that's it I, if there if it well Thank God it doesn't, right? Yeah. It'd be all pretty boring <laughs> if it was. And uh, at that point, AI could. Yeah, well, do that, it. That maybe, maybe I'm just sitting thinking. <laughs> that's a whole there. other podcast. Yeah. I'm just sitting <laughs> thinking maybe that's the protection, you know, like because like actually, if you don't know how to program it, you know, if if you don't actually know what it creates, if humans can't work it out, then yeah, we'll see if machines can. Hopefully not. Yeah, but um, sure. but yeah, so like, and have you has that experience and you know working on the sort of like. Uh, 
publishing side of things like has that taught you lessons for you know making sure you're collecting your own uh royalties and things like that and making sure the checks are coming in absolutely yeah i can only stress if you're an artist and you're you know starting out definitely look into what music publishing is and how it will be your friend if you're educated in it and there are so many ways online to educate same with recording or learning an instrument there are ways to find all of the information these days and you know i remember when i first got the job offer to to come work in in publishing and it was like a temp position and i like redove into it because i knew it was like I want to be prepared uh, going in at some level, you know, so I knew, okay, like I had refreshed because I was in like a mindset of complete, like it, Pro Tools, plugins, gear, right. electronics. You're in this one and, and universe. Very, yeah, and like writing and being a creative and being a guy on tour. But then, you know, it, it did, I, I always knew that I at some point had to, tap into the music industry somehow and i made it a point on every tour to meet everyone we worked with on our team mm-hmm. like i knew that like these sort of connections are so vital and so important to to make and you know just like um going to have lunch with your publisher yeah it's like it, i think it did make a difference because then my publisher was able to learn more about me and what my intentions are and speaking about, yeah, and I went to school for all this stuff and now I'm out here touring. And I think, you know, those kind of, I have always wanted to know more about the business because if you're going to work in the business, I think it, it does help a lot knowing how you can work with the business and in the business because the business is full of amazing people like you yourselves, you know, and thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and like for real though, we'll like yeah. <laughs> there's so many amazing people that work in the music industry that yeah, maybe aren't like singer songwriters or producers, but they have a passion to work in music and they dedicate their life to working in music. And if it's admin or, being more creative or legal or finance it's like it none of this is gonna work without those people yeah absolutely it's a big it's a big ecosystem and there are these different universes that exist but ultimately the whole thing comes together right but you be it's very difficult to specialize in all of the let's call them disciplines or what have you but and that's why it is it is a team and like people always right. stand up when they're winning awards and they want to thank their team etc but it, like like that to me is just like an acknowledgement that like really one person or even one band or whatever they really can't do it by themselves not to go right to the the top or to get to the level you need to actually sustain it over a long period of time it, it, there's a lot of people involved and a lot of like different cogs and um yeah. so but you I mean quite honestly like hearing your story like you're you're halfway there to being across all of them yourself (laughs) (laughs) and sometimes it makes my brain explode (laughs) but you know i do i do think more musicians should join the music industry 
you know, listening to to your story, you and even when you said working in publishing, you had personal relationships with some of these people that you were able to work with in the future. And mm-hmm. I think there are different universes. And unfortunately, not to be going on an anti-music business rant because I work in it. So but, you know, I, th- I think the more that people progress, the more that we tend to lose that fandom and that purpose of why we're actually doing this. And that's to support artists, yeah. songwriters, you know, m- musicians and you can bring that level of empathy to the the bands that you work with because you've been there before. Not saying that that's a requirement, but I think it certainly helps you do what you do. Definitely. And honestly, every band I work with, I do, I think sharing your knowledge and sharing your experience is so important. And every amazing, legendary musician or producer I've been able to work with and, and so thankful for all of that has been so helpful and so understanding and always i I think the real ones just want to teach and they will and the 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 others that are more fearful kind of you know hold these like so-called secrets Mm -hmm. in the bag and it just there really is no there there aren't any secrets it's even down to like you know mixing like yeah you can get you could probably like get let's say any of your favorite mixing engineers template but you don't have their brain and so you will never be able to you know translate that same mix Mm -hmm. into your what you're doing and then so that's really it's like i think the knowledge just sharing it is so important and and i do work with a lot of bands that i tell them like hey do you have like if it's a local band, I'll, I'll, first thing I'm like, you know, once we're done with everything, like, do you guys have your ASCAP set up or BMI? You know, what are you, mm-hmm. are you, we need to register these songs. We mm-hmm. need to take care of everything. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's money at the end of the day. It's money yeah. in your pocket. Like right. if you were, if you were going into, you know, your part-time job, whatever it might be. And, you know, you were only, you were doing the work, but you weren't really sure if they were, putting the check into your bank at the end of the month totally. you'd be you'd, like you'd be going like what the fuck you yeah. know <laughs> so it's like it, it's exactly the same thing you're right there you're doing the work make sure you're getting paid for it yeah right. you know exactly know? and like you know in in for for me i didn't have my pro set up before fire from the gods i wish i could go back and fix that but mm-hmm. i can't mm-hmm. and that's thanks to my publisher because she said hey you guys need to sign up for your PRO. And then I was like, oh yeah, the PRO stuff. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it like comes back. Cause in school, again, you're just like, you learn it and then you get your grade and you're like, woo, next class, let's go. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, know, exactly. and of course you retain that, but yeah. yeah, you like, there's so much going on in music that, and you, nowadays you do kind of have to wear a lot of hats. Um, if you, if you're not getting, handouts you know some people do get luckier than others Mm. with the people they meet and and all that but if you're not that lucky person then yeah you gotta just Mm -hmm. go at it and work for it and but thankfully there are more and more 
resources out there that to educate people, uh, including uh, podcasts like the Record Shepherd podcast. Absolutely, so, yeah. So if you don't know about a PRO, is go back and check out some of our earlier episodes. Oh, and uh, you, you don't know. know what a PRO is by now. <laughs> you have yeah. been listening. We, we gotta, we gotta <laughs> fix that. Yep. Um, Performing rights organization. There you go, Richie. So, quite. Oh, did you have anything? Well, I wanted to, like, we were just casually talking uh, earlier, yeah, yeah. and there was, like, mm-hmm. uh, there was a story that uh, you were about to tell us that I was like, whoa, 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 hang on, stop right there. Oh, right. Because I want to <laughs> I wanna save this for the pod itself. Fun tour story. So, yeah, fun tour stories or interesting tour stories. Let's uh, take it away. Okay. Um, I'll just, yeah, I'll go back to this recent one. So... We're talking about Jeffrey Dahmer <laughs> and, uh, you know, great topics. We're talking about Netflix. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, my God. So um, we were talking about that, and then I remembered, oh, yeah, like, we we just played The Rave, this um, venue in Milwaukee, which is right across from the hotel where Dahmer murdered a lot of people. And uh, so this venue is, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, it's haunted, and, you know, we're all like, ah, whatever. The venue haunted, or the, the the venue, yeah, wow. the venue as well. So, there is the swimming pool down in the bottom of the venue, and the first time we played the rave was with Corn. It was Fire from the Gods and Corn, and that was Corn's dressing room. So we weren't able to go down there and check it out. But then this last time we were able to finally go down, and you know, most bands like I've always seen it on other bands like Instagram stories, like they're down there and. There's this like Mac Miller actually wrote on the pool like I think it's like Mac Miller in whatever year uh, I'm dead now and <laughs> he's passed away since yeah. so there's all these like little freaky little things there so that day um, we were on tour with Norma Jean uh, and the the singer Corey comes up, up to me and he's like man, I, I got to show you this picture. And we're, we're in this like weird little green room area. It's, it's just such a suspect venue. And like, it's great. The rooms, they have like several different venues and like, there's a, a smaller one, a medium size, and then the mega room. And this time we were playing the like smaller room. And so we were in the <laughs> green room and, and he's like, yo, check out this picture. And it's a picture of a like, little gremlin looking face <laughs> right next to where we're standing and i was like oh that's so freaky like that's right there right and he's like yeah the cleaning lady just took that picture like hours ago and is like completely freaked out and no i'm way. just like oh my god and they're like all these weird th- i don't know the whole so the day face was, the face was just like where is in the picture like it's like a phone just picture floating just and it's just floating above this area and i'm like standing and it's like right here and i was just like and earlier i was in the restroom and i kept seeing something like in the corner of my eye and i, I constantly was like you know bonner drew like some band maybe one of my band ma- mates or something and there's nobody and like I don't know. The whole day, I just had these like really weird vibes, and then like he showed me that picture, and it just freaked me out. 
Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> gotta say, so. we're currently the only people in this building right now, and I'm getting chills. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to look back at the footage, and there's like a little face right <laughs> here. Oh, my God. Yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> we like play this back, and there's a wee gremlin face. <laughs> like <laughs> over <laughs> On that note, man. Yeah. Um, so so that, that was kind of like, okay. Um, and then that story reminded me just now of the Thompson house. And this is a venue that I think Abraham Lincoln, something like that. Played a metal show. (laughs) No, somebody like (laughs) stayed in this house and, and it's, it's a venue, but, um, also haunted. And we played there early on in, in our touring days. And I remember we got to the venue and the sound guy, like the local sound guy said, you know, just letting you know, this venue is haunted and of course all of us again are like ha ah, whatever and um and then he's like electronics fail a lot in here and i was like ah come on so we s- get set up sound check everything's smooth i get on stage to start our first song and we were running like backing tracks off of a laptop and i sit on my drums I look over to the left and I watch my laptop screen just go gray. And I'm like, okay, this is <laughs> really weird. And so my laptop literally died. It just wow. died? Died. It, the hard drive fried. Like, I lost stuff. We had no more laptop. Like, <laughs> oh my it God. just died. And. Did yeah, you, would, so. do you do you do? Did you believe in uh, like paranormal activity no. before that? No, so no. just like, but now you do. It, between yeah. little gremlins, faces all these little yeah, fried the, hard drives. There's been other things on tour too, and like, yeah, we were talking earlier. Like, you know, you 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 drive a lot, right? So you're gonna see some some stuff on the road. Yeah, but you know, like one day we saw we see a flip truck that's burning, and then next thing you know you see an accident happen and it's like there's just certain days on tour where you just like kind of feel like everything is sequentially off yeah 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 that's a glitch in the matrix yeah yeah definitely yeah 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 definitely (laughs) well look uh, speaking of being on the road and uh all that sort of stuff um tell us you, you got uh onto a lineup of a, a festival later in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about that and let, let people know what you guys are up to. Yeah, definitely. Um, we've got two festivals lined up. There's one incarceration festival, which should be fun. That's where they filmed the Shawshank Redemption. So um, yeah, I think in Mansfield, Ohio. And yeah, unfortunately that one got rained out last year. So we're playing that one this July. And um and then we're playing Aftershock Festival in Sacramento. Uh, we're playing the day with uh, Tool and um, Limp Bizkit. Uh, so yeah, I'm that's re- some. Uh, that, that's a what a what a what a bill to be on. Yeah, right. There's some big names playing that, and uh, I'm really stoked. Yeah, for that I saw one. the flyer. You guys are up there. You got your name up there. So uh, congratulations. That's Thanks, that's gonna mate. be a fun one. Yeah. 100 yeah. percent the grind continues yeah the grind continues and uh yeah like for uh, everybody if you don't know um far from the gods go and check them out check out 
their album dropped last year, Soul Revolution, and uh, you guys have a re-release out uh, this year of a single. Yeah, so we we have a single called A Thousand Lifetimes um, that, you know, really AJ wrote uh, about all the moms out there that really, they go through so much. I mean, with all of us knuckleheads and definitely all the, you know, it's a lot. And so that was like our way of thanking the moms out there. And and it's also a story of a, a a struggle you know and and also in you know the the african-american community and and how important it is that you know like we're a multicultural band and bands don't have to just be of one culture or color and so we teamed up with um cory glover Mm-hmm. of living color yeah and that was a really really special moment i got to record his vocals here in new york and you know he's he's from new york so uh it, it was just really special moment that we we got to capture with him singing our song and and sharing that experience and what aj our singer is is sharing with the world you know and and having such a legend hop on a track and like really be into our song was it's that's a yeah that's amazing feeling. yeah so absolutely yeah check it out thousand lifetimes featuring Corey glover of living color so it's up on all the dsp platforms go stream it yeah yeah hell yeah brother so on that note we will um wrap it up and encourage you guys to please follow like and subscribe um, on YouTube, you can also listen to the podcast on all platforms where podcasts are streamed. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or would like to join the podcast, you can email us at therecordshepherds at gmail.com. We're also on the Instagrams, we're on the Facebooks, we're on the TikToks. TikToks. We're delivering clips, we're delivering full episodes. So, any way you guys want to engage, reach out to us and we will give you all of that content. These guys are the real deal. So <laughs> the real deal. Listen to to the content. Listen this to the record efforts. This will be helpful, I promise. Yeah, well look it just uh leaves it for me to uh thank you so much, Richie, for coming on. It's been a great conversation and Definitely. thank you so for sharing so much uh amazing advice, stories and uh yeah, just information that hopefully a lot of listeners will not only find in informative but you know also benefit from definitely so until the next exciting episode of the record shepherds keep following along sorry i messed that up totally (laughs) 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 until the next exciting episode continue to follow the guidance of the shepherds don't be the sheep be Be the the goat goat. (laughs) it's late it's all good peace